in Second Peter, and we are in the first chapter. And today, we are going to look at verses 10 through 15, but we're going to read 3 to 15. 3 through 15. Um, and we'll, we'll put on the screen, 3 through 15. Uh, I'm not sure I told you that we're going to start at 3, but if you can put on 3 through 15, that would be a blessing. Uh, because, uh, you know, as you read Scripture and try to interpret Scripture and try to see what is the emphasis that the apostle or the writer of the scripture uh, has in this particular passage or in this particular book or in this particular chapter, then it's important to be able to discern what the emphasis is on. What is he clearly wanting to emphasize? And then many times, if not most of the time, the words that he's trying, the, the issues, the concepts that he's trying to emphasize, they appear more often in the text. Yes? Okay? If my emphasis is grace, I'm going to repeat the word grace often. I give a definition of grace, I give a description of grace, I give an application of grace, and, and so on and so forth. So here we find also that, that Peter is uh, emphasizing uh, certain things in this first chapter. In the second chapter, he goes into false teachers and, and these type of things and difficulties that will come our way as Christians because of the end times and, and so on and so forth. And, um, and, and so the second and the third chapter become a little bit more, if you will, gloomy and or sober is maybe a better word. And I told you before that when we go to second and third chapter, I will give you sort of like a double message. I'll give you sort of a message from the, se the, the second and the third chapter each time. And I might look back at the first chapter a little bit or somewhere else uh, to make it a little bit more. Uh, so to talk about soberness for a few weeks on the second and the third chapter, you might get tired of soberness. You, know, you want a little bit love. You want a little joy. You want a whatever. So we're going to try to make it happen. So... In the passages, uh, or the verses 3 through 15, and I'm trying to get through 15 today, uh, if, 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 uh, if I'm able, I'm not sure, uh, depending on, you know, what comes to my mind, what comes up, whatever, um, then uh, what the illustrations are and how much time we're going to spend on each portion. But there's many, many ideas here that we need to, to emphasize and explain a little bit so that we get a better grasp of what Peter is saying. And grasp we must because otherwise we don't understand from Scripture what we get to stand on, what we get to claim, what our promises are, what we can take to the bank, what we can stand sure upon instead of not knowing exactly. That is sort of like slipping deals. Uh, nothing to stand on, you know. I've always, I like tennis and I like volleyball and I like soccer because I'm on the ground. I, I, I don't think surfing. No, not for me. Too, too slippery. Or, or, or skating. I, started, I tried skating a little bit when I was a little boy. Then I went on, boom! I fell on my behind and on my wrists like this. I got up, tried again, boom! Second time, I said, okay, I get the idea. This is not for me. <laughs> As much as, as I admire people that can do that, uh, no. That's why, you know, uh, sometimes people ride horses. I love horses. I love when people ride horses. It is so elegant and so beautiful. But I'm thinking a horse has a will of its own. My car, if I step on the brake, it stops. One time I rode a horse, I tried to break the horse, but I oh, went a little bit too hard, and he stood up. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm just trying to stop the horse, and he just stands up like... <laughs> so, so it is important to know what Peter is saying so that we can stand on 
what he is saying. And we have a good grasp that when things come our way in the, in the way of difficult. Some people, for example, have no understanding, scripturally speaking, when difficulty comes their way, they think they are full of sin or sinful, or they think that they have no faith, and they think that um, this is from Satan, and it might be from Satan, but not necessarily so. It might be actually God wanting to show us some things and teach us some things. In that case, I'm not praying that God takes those difficulties away out of your life. I'm praying that God would get all the mileage that he wants to teach you through these difficulties. People are here in athletics. I know there's at least two tennis players over here uh, that have competed at high levels. And, uh, and, and, And so when you... If you want the easy way, you're not becoming a champion. It's hard to be one. Hard work, a lot of strenuous things, and a lot of, you know, I've thrown up a few times training. (laughs) And somebody told me, good boy. (laughs) You know, it's hard, it's tough. And to be a Christian, we think it's just the, the easy path, <laughs> bed of roses, nothing is further from the truth. Amen. And God uses all these things to teach us. As a matter of fact, later on in the sermon, if I get there, I'm going to show you that Peter is not soft with us. And we saw that uh, uh, our Peter, our associate pastor, when he is doing such a marvelous, if you haven't been on Sunday nights, you ought to come. There's a marvelous job on teaching out of the book of James. And he pointed out to us as well that James gave it to us directly. It wasn't just, oh, you sweetie pie. You're so wonderful. But I have something serious to talk to you about. No, it's about, boom, have it and, and deal with it. Handle it. <laughs> okay? I'm, 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 hopefully I... I'm, I haven't discouraged you yet. <laughs> so, we read at, ver- at, at verse 3. So, let's read through it and then see as you are reading or as we are reading, what are some of the things that reoccur in the text. So, as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue, that by these we might have, we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. Five. We've, done, we've talked about those things, right? But I'm, I'm giving you some backgrounds because they're all related to one another, as you will see, because he refers to some of these things often. But also for this very reason... Giving all diligence, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self uh, uh, self control, and to self control perseverance or patience, to patience or perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Verse 8 For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Sorry, go back to 8 if you would please. See, you see the words, these things? For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it stands to reason that we need to figure out what these things are. Right? Verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to, even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be, get, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 12 goes like this. For this reason, I will not... Be negligent to remind you, here is a a word, to remind you always of these things. 
though you know and are established in the present truth. Verse 13 says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And then 15 says this, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So, <clears throat> let us first pray and then visit about these verses. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will grant us just uh, 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 understanding and unction to, to take in, to grasp that these things might be ours, that these things might be our possession. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, what are these things? If we look at the text, we will see that some of these things are that we have been given by, by, by His divine power, we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yes? Is that something nice to have? That He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life here has to do, there's two words for life in the original language, or maybe more, but I know of two. Bios or bios has to do with biography, and, and that has to do with the necessities of life. The things that make life, the things that keep you alive, and so on and so forth. The things that make you live. Um, and then you have the word life, zoe, Z-O-E, that has to do with the essence of life. That is what he's speaking of over here. He's not talking about that you have apples in your backyard that you can eat and you can live for, off of them. He's talking here about the essence of life. What matters in eternity? That kind of life, the life of God that he wants to put in you. Life and godliness. And godliness, of course, has to do with godliness, that the, the, the nature the resemblance of God in your life so that other people can see that God lives in you, that you belong to God, that you are a follower, a follower of him. So uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness, he's given unto us. Then it says that he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly great and precious promises. Is that something nice to have? Exceedingly nice. Exceedingly great and precious promises from God. Then he says, and that by these we might be partakers of his divine nature. So we have seen all things that were given to us to, that pertain to life and godliness. We have seen that we have, uh, what is the second one? Oh, you're looking at the text. I'm not looking at the text. Exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of his divine nature. Okay, that's three. That then we have an escape. That by them we escape to the corruption that's in the world through lusts. So we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have exceedingly great and precious promises. We have our partakers of his divine nature. We have an escape from uh, corruption through, uh, that is in the world through lusts. And then he says, for this reason, add to your faith, be diligent. That's another uh, thing that he's talking about often. Be diligent to add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue, knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance or patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. So these things then we have added to it if we have done what he's asking us to do. Then he goes on to say, if these things be in you and abound. These things. So between verses 3 and verses 15, the words these things occur seven times. One, the listing of them. And five times these things. And one time, them, that refers back to these things. So, seven times in 15 verses. I think that Peter is serious about these things. Amen. 
So, I think if Peter is serious about these things and he writes these things to us, we ought to be serious about these things. So I'm thinking we need to at least have an active knowledge of this list. You may not maybe remind, remember every single item. I, don't, I wish that you would. But these things will help you as we will see in just a little bit. Because in a little bit he's going to tell us that if we do these things, we shall never fall. Actually, the title of my sermon today is Never Fall. I wish somebody, when I was trying to roller skate as a little boy, would have taught me how to never fall. That would be pretty sweet. It does hurt. And, and, and you know what? It sort of hurts not only your rear end and your wrists, but it also sort of hurts your pride a little bit. And you're looking and everybody's looking like, like this. Uh, so if, you, if these things be in you, he says, uh, and abound. We talked about the word abound. The word abound has, has the idea of overflow. And I believe that God wants us to have lives of overflow. Does, does, that, does that ring true to you? Okay? Because we know that Jesus himself says in, in, in the Gospel of John, 758 or something like that, he says that those who believe in me, as the scriptures have said, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, if you don't think that a river coming out of your belly is an overflow, I think we, 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 you know, we're not talking about the same concepts here. A river coming out of your belly is an overflow. And Jesus says, in another passage, in John 10, 10, he says, the other guy came to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Amen. That speaks of an overflow, brothers and sisters, that you might have life that overflows so that you can share life with other people. If you don't have an overflow, what do you get to share? I tell my sons, who are both in the ministry, and both are very busy. Ministry is just busy. Did you know that? You should try it sometime. You don't have to go full-time in ministry because you are in full-time ministry anyways. Because Jesus says that you are a minister. And you ought to minister wherever you go. And so I tell my sons, ministry is this. That you share the life that God has given you, you share with somebody else. Now, ministry doesn't give you life. God gives you life. Ministry sucks your life. Oh, you, you got quiet on me. Ministry, because you're giving it away, it's, it comes out of you. And you get tired. And you're sometimes taken advantage of. And, and these type of things, it is, woo, woo. It's inconvenient. Are you not ministers? You know, don't know this? When you get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning, I guarantee you that's not convenient. It is not that you go reluctantly, but it's not convenient. Just because it is inconvenient doesn't mean that you don't have joy in it. It's just 2 o'clock in the morning. I like to sleep. But if you call me, I joyfully go. I dread rest. I don't even complain one ounce because I'm a minister. That is where my heart is in the first place. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It comes easy to me because I love it. And, you have rivers. and I have rivers of living waters. Amen. But you see, what happens is that if you get so busy and you just... Go here and go there and go everywhere. And all of a sudden, there is no more life coming out of you. Then you're not ministering. You're just being busy. And there's a huge difference. And so I tell my sons, sons, 
be careful that you don't let all the life be sucked out of you. You've got to spend time with him who gives you life so that you have life to share. And those rivers come out of you. And that abundant life comes out of you so that you can share it with other people. Without which you have nothing to share. You can talk, you can be busy, whatever else. But you, the, the main thing about the gospel is that you share life with other people. So, where was I? <laughs> uh, the thief. So, anyways, that God wants us to have a life of overflow. Overflow, my dear brothers and sisters. It is hugely important that we understand that if your life is not overflowing into other lives, you need to take a step back and go to the prayer closet and ask God some things. Because I guarantee you, he has said to you, hey, we need to talk. And you need to talk to him so that he can give you direction of how to share what he has given you with other people. Not out of your lack, but out of your overflow. And so he says that if these things be in you, is that Ali? My goodness, my sister, how are you doing? I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you. My eyes betray me sometimes, so I wasn't sure. I had to ask, sorry. I could have walked closer and be, be sure. But If these things be in you and abound, you shall neither be uh, ineffective, is the, what the NIV says, or the King James says, idle, or what is the other word it says? Idle, somebody? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. King James. Barren, it says. Barren. Okay, barren, idle, ineffective uh, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or uh, 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 if, you, uh, if you like these things, well, they'll say if these things are in you, if these things are in you, they will keep you from being ineffective. And they will keep you from being unfruitful. But if you lack these things, you will be blind. Yes? Blind means that you don't see. And this means spiritually, that you are spiritually blind. I don't know if it means totally blind, because sometimes I say I am blind, but I can see. I just don't see very well. So spiritually blind might mean that you cannot see a thing spiritually, but I rather would believe, because it speaks about believers, that you see very poorly. You, you, you don't see spiritual things very readily. And it says, you cannot see far off. That is to say, you are nearsighted. You can see only by the, the length of your nose, because you don't see what God is doing in your life. You are short-sighted. You're not having a vision to see what God is doing. And you're complaining about what is God is doing for you. And you're thinking he's doing it against you. You can't see. You can't see afar. You can, see, you can see what God is going to have you like through this difficulty that you're going through. That he, he's, he's going to have you like in your character and in your spiritual and your, and your Christ-likeness three years from now. When he has gotten his mileage out of this, this uh, 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 difficulty, then most people, Christians think, if I can just get out of this difficulty, then I'm saved. No, there is another difficulty. You live here on earth. <laughs> Who says, well, you have about five difficulties in your life. That's five, okay, no more difficulties. No, sir. You live on earth. And heaven is different. So, and then says that not only are you blind if you don't have these things, these things, and you are short-sighted or near-sighted, but you are forgetful. You have forgotten that you were cleansed from your past sin. Now we are at verse 10. That's where we're starting today. <laughs> verse 10. Then he says, moreover, he says, rather, brethren, rather, brethren. So moreover has to, or therefore, wherefore, moreover, they are connecting words. They are connecting what was, what's preceding this with what is following. 
He says, on the basis of what I have already told you. Be even more, okay? The, the, the older King James says, the rather, the rather. Be even more, here's that word again, diligent. We saw it in verse 5. We see it in verse 10. And it's going to come back in verse 15. Be diligent, he says, to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. Hallelujah. That needs a little clarification so we don't misinterpret what it is saying. Uh, be even more diligent. Be even more diligent. There is diligence required in the Christian life. Some things in the Christian life, you just get, they come with the gospel. Right? Can you give me one of those? When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you just get eternal life. You can work for it, and believing in him, you get eternal life. That's guaranteed. You can't do anything for it. Diligent or not diligent. You get it. Other things, you get peace with God. You're not any longer his enemy. Now you are at peace with God because Jesus made the peace. Nothing you can do for it. Nothing you can do it against it. You have peace with God. God sees you now as his son or daughter, his child, and as a, as a friend. Uh, friend may have a little bit different connotation, but okay, we're not going to go that deep in it. Uh, 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 just know that you, you, you are God's, and that is given to you. You just get that. But certain things you have to be diligent about. Be diligent, Peter said, about adding to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and so on and so forth. He said that in verse 5. Be diligent about that. Uh, Paul says, here he says, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Paul says, be diligent, and he, or, or the King James says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, I think it's maybe verse 3, if I'm not mistaken, 2 or 3, I think it's 3. Be diligent. The Holy Spirit has provided unity already for you. And he says, be diligent in maintaining it. Be diligent in safeguarding it. That, because that, that part, he says, is up to you. Be diligent about that. So he says here, be diligent about making sure of your calling and election. Now, we can... We can Stop here and park here and talk for a few days about the idea of calling an election. Because there's so much confusion about it and so much talk about it and so much church splitting about it and so much division about it and so on and so forth. Let me just say this. When he says calling an election, you could say it in one word, the word salvation. But the word election gives it a certain, as Baptists, we are a little bit afraid of that word election. Uh, but the ele word election gives us a little bit different connotation. But if, if Peter is speaking in 2 Peter to the same people initially that he was speaking to in 1 Peter, then it would stand to reason when he uses the word election in 1 Peter, let's take a look at what he's saying over there so we can compare. That, does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? So we look at 1 Peter 1, verse 2. This is, like I said, we could talk for days about this. So this is just poof, a little bit of a glimpse. Because here it, is not, it matters not that much. What, what matters over here is that you make sure that there's some proof of that you have salvation of your calling and, and election. So 1 Peter 1, 2 says this. 1 Peter 1, 2. Okay. So here it talks about, here again. Uh, for, uh, okay. Here. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 1, 
2. Yes. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh, they were, it doesn't say it over here, but maybe it is in verse 1. I thought it was in verse 2 also. But it speaks about the election according. Uh, okay, yeah, so this is the New King James. Or is NASB, NASB. Okay, yeah. Say, say, say it for me in the... Elect, uh, yes, uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Elect according to the foreknowledge of the Father. So elect speaks about election, but he makes it very clear that it is according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Okay? If, if we would have a bunch of guys, and Humphrey was there, and Glenn was there, and we're going to play one tennis team against another tennis team, because I have foreknowledge, I would pick these, these two guys right off the bat. I may not know the other guys or how good they are playing. I'm picking these guys for, for them to be on my team. When God knows already what you're going to do, whether you're going to choose them or not to choose them, according to his followers, there's an election. Not like to be afraid of. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were elected. By the way, it's not written on anybody's forehead whether they are elected or not. So, uh, so we're going to, for our purposes, we're going to say that make sure about your salvation. So, <clears throat> he is not asking us. To make sure about your salvation, he is not asking us that are putting in question that you don't have salvation. He is saying you have salvation. But with salvation comes a lifestyle. With salvation comes a character. With salvation comes how you walk. And if you don't walk according to what God, how God wants you to walk, you have no proof. That doesn't mean you're not saved. Nobody knows that you are a Christian. You remember when Peter talked about faith and works in James? James 2.17, I want to say you have it there. James 2.17 says, Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead being alone. Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead being alone. What does that mean? What it means is this, that the works don't prove that you have faith. He is saying, you having faith, the good works are proof of that. You can't flip it over. Okay? My father, he was not a believer. There's no one, or not no one, there's few people that did good works like he did. Helping people, helping poor people, and so on and so forth. But he was not saved. That was not proof of his salvation. So, but what he's saying is, you are saved, you have salvation, something needs to show up, because he says over here, faith, saving faith, is not alone. You get saved by faith alone, but saving faith is not alone. It brings forth good works. Are you with me? You don't misunderstand this, otherwise you get in a, in a, in a, in a real spin that is hard to come out of. Okay? So, when you have the faith and God saves you, out of your life should come good works. But, and that is proof of your salvation that you already have. But if you have no salvation, you can still do good works. They're not good works with God, but they're good works for, with people. People consider them good works. God considers them... Excuse me? Filthy rags. If you do it on your, in your own. When it comes from God, these are good works. When you do it on your own, He considers them filthy rags because there was no faith involved. It was just in your own strength and your own power and your, your own 
voluntary uh, 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 manner. You see what I'm saying? So, it reminds me of the old story. Remember the old story or the old question that somebody would ask and says, if you were arrested for being a Christian, so nobody is questioning your Christianity. You are being questioned, you are being arrested for being a Christian. Somebody saw you make a, 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 a confession. Ah, Christian, let's arrest him in whatever country that is or whatever. And, and, and as things get bad and, or in certain countries, you get arrested for just being a Christian. Then the question was, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That is the quest, that's what he's bringing up over here, to make sure that there is evidence. So, now, John goes in front of the judge. He was arrested for being a Christian. I go in front of the judge because I was arrested for being a Christian. The judge says, Kenny, let him go. There's no evidence over here. There's no evidence that he's a Christian. He's not influencing anybody for Jesus Christ. Let him go. John, lock him up right now. He's influencing way too many people for Christ. Lock him in. Not only do you lock him in, put chains around his hands and chains around his feet. He has way too much influence over people. So that's the question that Peter is raising over here. Make sure of your salvation. Not only, but you are saved. So you're not making it sure before God, because God knows that you have faith. And so as far as he's concerned, everything is, is, is honky-dory as far as salvation is concerned. Not as far as, as your good works are concerned, but as far as your salvation is concerned. Are you with me? Stay with me now. Stay with me now. Um, so as far as God is concerned, you're, you're good to go. But as far as other people are concerned, you're not good to go. Hey, there's no evidence. Even sometimes as far as yourself is concerned, that you don't are satisfied, you're not pleased with the life that you show forth as a Christian, and you start doubting a little bit. Yes? Is that true? I hear it all the time. As a pastor, I hear it all the time. And over the years, there are tons of people that I, I, I had to make sure that they understood that if they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were saved. Good works or not. But good works should come. Okay. Yes. 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 So there's, a, there's an evidence there. Just don't flip it around. Otherwise, you, you, might, you might get confused. So then, now we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, and uh, verse 10b, so to speak, or C, whatever you want to look at it, and he says, if you do these things, you shall never fall, the King James says, or the NIV says, you'll never stumble. So we need to figure out what the word fall says, what it means. It doesn't mean that you'll never sin. We know that you'll, you'll sin on occasion, hopefully less and less. But here it speaks about falling, stumbling, you fall into a sinful deal of a lifestyle, a, 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 a period of time, a funk, if you will. But he says, if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Do you want to be at that place? That's where I want to be. So now we have that these things... Can you remember what these things are? Can you give me at least one or two of them? These things. I give, I give them to you, then you can give them. Somebody said something? Huh? Virtue. Virtue is one of those things. Brotherly love. Say again. Knowledge. Self-control. Persistence. Patience. All these things. You have not only those things, but you have also... The idea that you have partakers of, of God's divine nature, that God has given you all things to, uh, pertaining to life and godliness, that you have escaped, you have an escape, that if you find yourself in a funk, whoop, you have, he's provided for you an escape. So he says that if you do these things, he says, you'll never stumble. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin. That's just that you're not going to go head first, boom, 
into a sinful lifestyle, into a, a, a period of sin and a funk that, that, that is a hard to get out of. But he's also uh, 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 giving you an escape. So, let's go on. It's interesting what Peter is teaching us over here. Uh, 11 says this. For so, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For so, so you will receive an abundance entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, doing these things, having these things, possessing these things, you will have an abundance entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, always I have to be careful because my mind <clears throat> is a little weird, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> because immediately my mind thinks that some people are going to interpret this, that if you don't do these things, you don't have an entrance. The distinction is not between an entrance and no entrance. The distinction is between a rich, abundant entrance and an entrance. Amen. If you're a child of God, you have an entrance. But you don't want to have an entrance that is, like it says in the Corinthian letters, as escaping by a fire. Everything that you bring will be burned, except you escape. Poof! But what he wants for us is that we build our lives on gold, silver, and precious stones. So these are the things that are eternal, that will be with us in heaven. And so he's talking here a little bit about the award thing the reward thing a little bit as well. And I'm thinking about in the book of Acts when Stephen was stoned or being, fixing to get stoned. Being stoned. And it says that was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I'm thinking, it usually says that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. So what is the meaning of this? That for Stephen, he stood up. <laughs> he, gave, he gave Stephen an abundant entrance. When you come to heaven, do you want Jesus to sit down? Or do you want to stand up? Come, son. Come, daughter. I don't know if this is what it means. That's just in my head. So that's why I have to tell you that it is, it is my, my imagination over here so you don't think that this is what the scripture exactly says. It does say that he saw Jesus standing. But to me, it means like a special reception for Stephen. Amen. But it is not purely scriptural. I just want you to know that. That's my opinion. I want you to know what is my opinion. And I want you to know when it's a scripture. But doesn't it sound good, though? Amen. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and the ever into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So will be, so will be supplied, so will be supplied. The King James says, so shall be ministered. Uh, so it speaks about the future. So it's not talking about the present. It says, so. What it means is then that you do these things and you shall not fall or not stumble. It is not talking about doing the things, these things one time. <laughs> Look, I did it. And then you go on about your own way, do live in the flesh. It's not talking about that. It is when you do these things, you shall, there be a, a, a rich entrance supply to you in the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This should be your life now. This is now who you are. Okay? This is, in, 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 in sports, sometimes people say, you know, you, know, you, you, have, you, you, you dribble, pop, 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 It should be second nature. Except in the spiritual realm, it is not second nature anymore. It used to be second nature. Now it's your first nature. Your first reaction is that. Your first reaction is not any longer when somebody insults you that you insult them back. Your first reaction because that's not 
who you are any longer. You are now a new person, and the new person reacts differently from the first. They insult you, you love them. You respond in kindness. That's where I want to be. Matter of fact, that has been the last couple of years has been my struggle, my emphasis, my focus, that my first reaction would be a godly reaction. Not a fleshly reaction. And then later I have to go apologize. Hey, Brother John, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Would you forgive me, brother? Nothing about asking for forgiveness if you have done wrong. You should ask for forgiveness. But we're going around, forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. Brother, forgiveness, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? That's how we live. Verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent. For this reason. Because of some of the things they said before. He says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things though you know and are established in the present truth. This verse means volumes to me. Maybe because I have certain experiences. But it means volumes to me that you would be reminded of these things that matter in your life. Sometimes when we are reminded, when somebody says, do this and do that, and you say, I know, that's the wrong answer, okay? I'm teaching you some math, I'm teaching you tennis, and you say, I know, do this and this, I know, do this and this, I know. About the third time, you know, what are you here for a lesson for, (laughs) if you already know it? Or sometimes when we remind somebody, um, then we get offended. No, you never? Okay, like, for example, I teach tennis at the lakes. I drive my car to the lakes. I have to be sure when I leave for the lakes that I have two sets of keys. My car keys, which is also my house keys, and the keys there at the lakes where I lock my basket of balls behind. If I forget that second key, I get to the legs, but I cannot teach because my balls are locked behind this lock. <laughs> so Sybil would say, honey, don't forget the ball keys. Oh, my ball keys. I'm not going to forget my ball keys. No, you can have an attitude if you want to. But, hey, get with me on this plane that you are thankful from now on when somebody reminds you. Because, you know, it has not been but, 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 uh, been a few occasions that I had to call, Honey, <laughs> I forgot my keys. <laughs> Knowing that if I drive home and back, it takes twice as long as that when she just drives from home and brings me the keys. Oh, honey, I'll be right there. She has such a good attitude. Instead of saying, you dummy, why, why? Why are you forgetting your keys all the time? So, hey, so, huh? so when I remind you, don't be so upset when I remind you. So, folks, let's be grateful when people are reminding us. I have to tell you one more thing. Um, when I played tennis in my home country, we had high school from 7 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Then you, were, then you go home. We lived close to, the, to the, the school, so I ran home, changed clothes, my mom was always so worried because I would run out and go to play tennis. Because we had only two tennis courts and a lot of kids playing. If I didn't get there before anybody else, when it was so hot that even the flies were not out, <laughs> I would have to play with all kinds of kids that maybe some of them were beginners and so you didn't have no right to reserve a court as a junior. So I go there early and a friend of mine would come early and I would play one-on-one for a little while and, 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 and so on and so forth. So... One time at the club, the chairs, they were chairs that were, uh, were woven with rubber or, or, or plastic or whatever, just a, 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 a cord, that was, and the chair was woven like this, and so that's where you sat. And, and then one, somebody came and cut them. 
And me being there early every day, I was an automatic suspect. Yes? <laughs> automatic. I was there every, uh, every afternoon. I just want to play tennis. And so uh, Kenny's there all the time. So I was summoned to the police uh, office, police station. This is what my father said to me. If I'm not careful, I'm going to cry. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. He said to me, just tell him the truth. That's all. He was not concerned. I, I was in the middle of the night making this note to myself that I should share this with you. He was not concerned whether I was going to be put behind locks or that I was going to be reprimanded or that maybe I didn't do it or whatever. One thing he was concerned about, that I would tell the truth. My dear brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how much I've appreciated my dad for that. Just tell him the truth. And he didn't know. He didn't ask me that you do it. He just said, tell him the truth. He didn't know whether I had done it or not. He didn't figure I had done it. Why would I do such a stupid thing? But he didn't know. And if I had done it, he wanted me to face up to it. And if I hadn't done it, then nothing would have happened. Tell him the truth. So that was his reminder. Tell the truth. Just recently, somebody texted me. Uh, I, I had gone to an office with five ladies there. They wanted to talk to me because I knew a couple of them. And they had some trouble at the office and in the, best, in the whole organization. And they just wanted to talk with me what counsel I could give them with the, with the five of them over there. So I got a, a text from one of them and said, pray for us. Two of them were going to have a difficult day. Team, I reminded them, be gracious and kind. That's all. I reminded them, be gracious and kind. A reminder. She didn't say, well, Pastor, you didn't think I was going to be gracious or kind. No, she received it gladly. Because when you get in a difficult situation, it is easy that the flesh would come step up. And, and you wouldn't be gracious and kind. And then it, it accelerates the situation into difficulty that now you might lose your job. Be gracious and kind. Just a reminder. And Paul is saying over here that if I don't remind you, I feel I am neglectful. And he wants to remind us, and I want to remind you, the flock that God has given me oversight over I want to remind you of the things that really matter, not only in this life, but also in the rich entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. And he says, remind you, that little word over there, always. That comes in verse 15 also again. Always. So he says, uh, I'm going to remind you, you know, most of the time I won't remind you. But every once in a while, once every 10 years, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you always. Because, you know, he is saying, and he's not saying this, but I'm reading in between the lines. He is saying between the lines, when difficulty comes, I want you to remember. When you have this difficulty at the office, sister... Sisters, be gracious and kind. Remember. Remember. Uh, so, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. These things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Though you know them already. The King James asked the word, you, you know them. That's the, the, the one that I told you that it was not these words, these things. And it was not the listing of the things, but it referred to these things because it said them. That is the one I'm talking about. Because you know them, the King James adds it over there, and are established in the present truth. So, as Christians, we have this weird idea that we always want a new teaching, a new truth. Peter is not talking about that over here. He's talking about, I'm going to remind you of some of the things that you already know. 
And you're a big shot. Oh, I know this already. Hey, uh, hey, treat your wife kindly, Brother Doyle. Uh, here, I have a book for you. Oh, I read that book already. No, read it again. <laughs> the way you treat your wife, brother, you need to treat Three or four more times you need to read it. I know this is a hypothetically, brother. Okay, okay. Don't be offended. <laughs> Let me clarify that right away. It's hypothetical. So just to say, I know it, or I've read the book. It's not enough. I remind you, though, you're establishing these things. Verse 13 says this. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in, the, in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. I don't know why the new King James just says tent. Uh, but it's fine. The old King James says tabernacle. He, he means body. As long as I am in this body, as long as I am alive, I'm going to remind you. So, brothers and sisters, when I'm on my deathbed and you come see me, Brother John, Brother John, remember to love your wife, brother. Remember to love your wife. She's the most precious possession that God has given you. So, remember, brother, remember. I see it all. I say, I'm going, I'm going back. Remind you as long as I'm alive. As long as I have breath. As long as I am in this body, he says, I'm going to remind you. Amen. And in my dear brothers and sisters, I'm going to remind you. And my dear brothers and sisters, I would like that you remind me too. <laughs> it's not just a one-way one, one, one street. You remind me too, okay? Right, amen. Yes, when you see me slipping a little bit, of, yeah, you remind me. I give you permission. Pastor, I heard you're not so kind to your wife. What's up? I gave you permission to do that, brother. But I have also permission to do it to you. <laughs> yes, you have permission. Hey, Tony, you have permission. I want you to know that. You have permission. When you see me, when you see me not walking like I'm supposed to walk, you call me into account. Pastor, sit down. <laughs> like I always say, Gracie, come, sit down. That means we got to talk. Okay. Pastor, sit down. Okay, okay. As long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up, to encourage you, to, to move you, to inspire you by reminding you. I'm not trying to be a drag. I'm not trying to be a pest. I'm trying to just to stir you and remind you of these things that will make for your spiritual life to be one of an overflowing and abundant life. Verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. In the book of John. Would you give the scriptures out of, of, out of the book of John? If it's not too late. Ah, well, yeah, okay. We'll, 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 we'll check it out. John is uh, 21 something. 18 and 19. Thank you. Here you have. <laughs> Absolutely. You are blessed. I'm, I'm in. I, I'm thinking, honey, I'm thinking. I know what you're thinking. You want some ice cream. <laughs> verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee. And carry thee whither thou wouldst, wouldst not. Uh, there is a little bit of disagreement in this. But most people that you read about uh, speak to these verses. Uh, of course, we already know uh, that this he spoke signifying by what death he should glorify God. So he speaks about Peter's death, right? And most people think that this speaks, uh, verses uh, 18, uh, 18 spoke about that he was going to die a martyr's death. And as we know, that Peter got uh, uh, crucified upside down. Yes? Okay. So that's, that's just history. Uh, Peter got crucified upside down because he felt like he didn't want to dishonor his Savior by being crucified like him. 
crucify me upside down. Hey. And then, huh? Anna? Oh, that's heavy duty, huh? Woo! And, uh, and then in 19, Jesus says this. This is uh, signifying by what death, by what death he should glorify God. We're thinking that when we die, there is no way to glorify God. This is not true. This is how I want to die. Not upside down crucified. But I want to die in a way that brings glory to God, not shame to God. Amen. There's ways to die, right? Yes. Uh, 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 uh. I go to a bar, bump into somebody who's drunk by accident, and he gets all upset, and he, boom, he shoots, he pulls a gun, and boom. Oh, I don't want to die like that. But if he shoots me because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm good to go. I was sharing the gospel with him. He said, I don't want anything with it. Pow, 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 boom, boom. You know, I'm good to go. No problemo. But I don't want to die for something stupid. And then he's going to die, and by this death he's going to glorify God. So Jesus has told him, you're going to die like a martyr. You're going to glorify God, and he says, follow me. What a way of calling people, huh? <laughs> You're going to die. Come follow me. Oh boy. I told you, Peter was not trying to be soft on us when he was telling us in First Peter. Uh, when Peter says, I'm going to go, and this is the way I'm going to go. I'm going to die soon. But they already knew how he was going to die. He was old. He was getting close. No softy business. I wonder why there are so many softy messages in Christian circles. Amen. Follow me, he said. Now we are at verse 14 or 13. Where are we? 14. Yes, at 15 now. 15 says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always, here's that word again, and the word be careful over here, what does what the, the King James say? Be careful. This word, they use the word diligent. Moreover, I endeavor. 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 Be diligent. Uh, my, my translation says be diligent. So here you have that word again about being diligent. He says, he says, I will put forth a great effort. I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So he's saying, I will remind you of these things and put you in remembrance of these things so that you will remember and when I'm gone, you will be, rem you'll be remembering as well the things that I've told you. So that you will never fall. So that your life will be a life of victory. Brothers and sisters, the things that Peter is talking about that will happen, that, that he's speaking of, of, of future things in chapter 2 and chapter 3, it is important that we live victorious lives Amen. so we are not readily swayed by the things that Peter is saying that will happen then. Would you want a victorious life, an overflowing life, a life where you don't stumble? Not about not sinning. You're going to sin. You, you, you. That's just what happens here on earth. Hopefully not too often. <clears throat> but you don't have to be in a sinful lifestyle or in a sinful punk, a, f a funk, so that you, 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 you just, uh, yeah. <sighs> I drink alcohol, I can't get rid of it. <sighs> you know, okay? He's giving you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I have the, this divine power is yours. His divine, what was it? 
nature is yours. And you tell me that alcohol, you can beat it by his divine nature, by the power that he has for you. You can be victorious over it. You say that you cannot shake those opioids. You can be victorious over it. I heard about two amen, so maybe I need to talk a little bit more. So I got three or four or five, and, you know, in a little while, the whole group will say amen. You, Brother Joe, can you overcome it or not? Amen. Because by his own testimony, God had delivered him from it. And you just, you're just thinking, oh, you're just giving up. Don't give up. There is victory in God's heart and mind for you. Amen. He wants you to live a life that is more abundant. And he wants that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living, of living water. So that when John needs a cup full, he just comes and, I don't only give him a cup full, I give him a house full of living water. Because how do you get a cup from a, ri a, a, a river? When it's flowing, 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 a cup, ah, I'm over full, I'm over full. No, no, that's, you, I'm, it's glad that you're over full because you have to share with somebody else. The Lord bless you.